Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are coming out of the description of some of the terms of the agreement that uh, is this new idea of covenant in the ancient world. This new idea of cutting a covenant not with a conquering king, but with the king of kings, as it were, right? Cutting a covenant with God. The entire people has the theophany at Sinai. The entire people encounters the deity at Sinai and then can't handle that and ask Moshe to be their intercessor and to bring them an understanding of what it is they're supposed to do to uh, keep their side of this new um, special relationship, this idea of a covenantal relationship. So we got that discussion last week, and now we're getting, uh, in Parshat Truma, this idea that they are to have with them at all times a shrine, a mishkan, because there's no English word that's going to get anywhere near what we need. Mishkan is what they are told to build. Mishkan, from the verb, lishachem. So the Hebrew verb, please tell me. Right, erase, yes. What does it mean? Could it be neighbor? Ha, 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 ha. Neighboring. To dwell. So the neighbor is somebody who dwells next to you or near you. Someone with whom you dwell. L'shachem, to dwell. So here's, here's our root. L'shachem. What we're building is a Shekhinah. A Mishkan. Actually, this should stay okay. What was it? Well, no, it's okay. Um, Mishkan. Here you've got the No, because this, if it takes a dot, is a K. Without the dot, it's a Ch. Yes? Yes. You follow? Lishachem. Here's your root in Hebrew to dwell, right? And so what we're building is what? Mishkan. Well, yeah, what, what, how would you say that? A sacred dwelling. Okay? So it's literally a dwelling with the implication that it is only for God. This is not a human dwelling. This is a dwelling for God. So the text says, Ve'asuli mikdash, they will make me uh, mikdash, a holy place. V'shachanti bitocham. That I may dwell bitocham. Among you. Literally can be translated in Hebrew as, it's, and it's not you, it's, it's close, that I may dwell among them. But the Hebrew prefix is in. When we say amidst, in the midst of, the Hebrew preposition is in. So literally, let them build me a mikdash that I may dwell in them. So from our earliest sacred text, it is clear this was never to be a house for God. God forbid God needs a house. Right? All of the world is filled with God's presence. God, God has the entire universe as God's house. 
the Mishkan is so that God could dwell among us. So how is it that we can concentrate the presence of God in our midst the way we've always done that as human beings is to interact ritually in a communal space around which there's understood norms about ritual that will intensify the presence of God in our midst, yes? We have very different ideas nowadays about what that means than they did in the ancient world. But the idea is still really powerful. Or else, none of you would care that we're meeting here at KI instead of at Steve's, Lenny's, whatever the heck it is now. Um, what makes it different when we come in here, right, are our connections to the understanding that this is only for sacred purposes, for our communal sacred purposes. Um, we don't use this for, you know, just anything, right? This is our place to come together with our rituals and our history and our sacred symbols. All of those sacred symbols begin for us as a people in this text. They are all rooted in this text. The colors we see, the images we see, the design of the ark over there, all of it originates in these parshiot. For several weeks, we're going to have a description of the Mishkan, and then we're going to get a description of the building of the Mishkan. So we spend a lot of time with this business of Mishkan. How does Shekhinah relate to it? So Shekhinah is the noun of dwelling. So not the noun, like the, the place of dwelling, the verb to dwell Shekhinah is the noun. What would you say the noun of to dwell is? Dwelling place. Not the place. I am dwelling here. I'm dwell the noun. That's a verb. That's what you said. Oh, you want What's the, the noun? Person, place, or thing. So. It's where we dwell. No? no, I'm not talking about a place. Dwell. Dweller. The dweller. Okay? Yeah, person. Would be the person. Uh, yeah. Shekhinah is the dweller. It's a feminine form of a word, right? It's got the hay at the end. It's a feminine term. So, yes, the important thing. Yes, Linda Rosen knows all about the feminine Shekhinah because we had Shekhinah teenies at the <laughs> women's retreat. This is how we, we learn our Bible. It is very good. This is how we learn our Bible. Here at Kehilat Israel Congregation of the Palisade. But you know what? I have shot a You didn't know. I'm here. I'm here. She still remembered it, though. So, this, whatever works. So, so, all of these terms, right, are linked. That the Shekhinah is the, it's often translated the indwelling presence of God. Um, it is often understood to be the imminent God rather than the transcendent God, right? That there's a balance. For us, there's both imminent and transcendent. You know, as Reconstructionists, we have our own relationship to transcendent, which is a whole other discussion. But, um, but the imminent and versus the transcendent aspects of God, Shekhinah is the imminent, the God within. The God present within each one of us, right? So the... And, and again, is a feminine form. Every word is feminine or masculine in Hebrew. Everything, including table, microphone, glasses. They are feminine or masculine, just like in the Romance languages. 
So it's not, it's not that the Shekhinah is just the feminine aspect of God, it's that it's a feminine word, and it has become, um, in Jewish mysticism and other sources, the representation of the feminine aspect of God. And our job through mysticism and on Shabbat is to um, bring together the feminine and masculine aspects of God, to create a holy union, um, if you will, by our behavior here. <clears throat> All right, let's look at verse <clears throat> 31. Um, we're coming out of the description of the outside of the Mishkan, the um, planks and the structure that holds it all together. Um, that's what we're just coming out of. If You may or may not remember, we read that last year. Um, yes, there's a concerned look over there, Margot. I was just thinking that um, we had read that earlier in, in, I guess it was last year. <laughs> How time flies. Right. Yes, feels like earlier this year. It was, in fact, last year that we read the planks and the sockets and the apertures and the hooks and the blah, blah, blah. Um, yes, so we read that. We had a beautiful midrash on it last year, but the sockets are called sisters and... Yeah. Um, but this year we are going to start in the third third of the triennial, and therefore we're going to start at what goes over the planks, right? What goes over that that uh, skeleton, and that starts at verse thirty-one. Someone read for us, please. You shall make a. You shall make a curtain of blue, purple, and crimson yarns, yarns, and fine twisted linen. It shall have a design of cherubim worked into it. Hang it upon the four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and having hooks of gold, set in four sockets of silver. Hang the curtain under the clasps and carry the Ark of the Pact there, behind the curtain, so that the curtain shall serve you as a partition between the Holy and the Holy of Holies. Place the cover upon the Ark of the Pact in the Holy of Holies. Place the table outside the curtain and the lampstand by the south wall of the tabernacle opposite the table, which is to be placed by the north wall. Okay. So we're now getting the description of the curtain um, that has blue, purple, and crimson yarns. Why these colors? <clears throat> Why blue, purple, and crimson? In the ancient world, the colors of? That's right. Mm-mm. Royalty. Royalty and magic. Right? These are the power colors in the ancient world. Is, are we describing the same thing that our carpet is supposed to represent? We're going to get that description. Okay, because that doesn't match this description. Correct. So. They have the expression born to the purple. Hmm? We have an expression born to the purple. Born to the purple, right? right? Why was that the color of royalty and magic? Hardest to make. It was the, it was the hardest to make. Rare. It was very, very rare. Um, and so it was hugely expensive. So the you know they extracted the dye from some kind of um, sea creature like snail or whatever. There, I've read so many articles on this you wouldn't believe. Um, is it a snail? Is it a crustacean? Is it this? so? Um, whatever it is, it's you know the amount of dye you you get is you know is tiny. So if you can imagine making a curtain. Of purple, right? The amount of dye that would—I mean, it was exceedingly expensive. Um, and uh, and 
so again, the revaluing of the royal colors, it's not, um, the, it's not a human king anymore, right? It represents God as the ultimate power in the lives of ancient Israel. And uh, same with these colors that have to do with, you know, kind of magic, that it's no longer, you know, magic that is someone is doing to manipulate the forces of nature, right? God is now understood to be the source of all power in the world. So these are for God's house. Um, does this have anything to do with, remember a while ago we did, you, you did a video thing, uh, I, it something, I, mean, I don't know if it's a Mishkan with all the bright colors, and we looked at it, we, it was up here, and we looked at it, it was very, it was very rich, and it was colorful. Is this the same kind? Is it, was that a Mishkan? I'm, I would imagine what I showed you was the Mishkan, but the, all of this stuff would have been covered over right. with another tent-like thing. So it wasn't seen from the outside. Is this the first parochic? Yes. Yes. So what we're having described here that Sarah knows the name of is parochet. How do you know that word? Because in Prague, we visited a museum that was created by Hitler to uh, collect parochet team mm -hmm. uh, to ship eventually to Germany for the Museum of the uh, uh, Extinguished Jews. Right. So when the Jews were extinct, these were going to be the relics yeah. in the museum, and one one is apparently a collection of parochet from um, different communities. So the parochet is the curtain that hung between the Holy of Holies and the other holy off-limits part of the tabernacle. And the parochet, that dividing curtain, the, the Ark of the Covenant was behind it, in synagogues now, in general, because <laughs> ours is an exception, mm -hmm. in synagogues now, in general, there is a curtain in the ark, right? Or in front of the ark. There are different traditions. So most arks, you open it, and then there's a parochet. There's a curtain, and you pull the curtains open, right? Or there's a velvet curtain hanging in front of the ark, and you open that curtain to open the ark and to see Torah. In our sanctuary, in our ark, the parochet is built in. The parochet for us, I don't know if you knew this, is the smoky glass that then becomes clear at the top. So that Torah is still veiled. So it's a glass door so you can, you can peek in, but it's still veiled with the smoky glass. Um, so it's a different, it's a, you know. Interpretation. <laughs> it's the idea of parochet, not a literal parochet. But that, that is where it comes from. And the parochet is not allowed to be destroyed to this day. Um, a parochet is never destroyed. It is either buried in a Jewish cemetery um, or used in some other way or stored away in the synagogue. Yes, Mickey. Somehow I suspect that subliminally... Subliminally. The was created with a curtain to separate the women from the men. 
So if the mechitza, the divider between the men and the women, is in fact inspired by parochets, my question would be, which side is the holy of holies? The women. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. So... Okay, so let's not go. Um, right. So, um, and all of this, remember, none of this was ever seen by the people. None of this was ever seen by the Levites. Who were the only people to ever see any of this? The Kohanim, the priests. Right? They were the only ones who saw this. Before it was carried, it would have all been packed up and then hefted on the shoulders of the clans that were given the duties to carry it from camp to camp. All right. Um, so outside the Holy of Holies and outside the parochet is the table. What goes on the table? The showbread. And the lampstand. What is the lampstand? The menorah. Right? So when we look up and we see the menorah, it is always evocative for us of our most ancient understanding of creating light as a form of representing our relationship to the divine. <clears throat> it is almost universal. Light as a symbol of wisdom, of godliness, of enlightenment, of you know, right? light as a symbol of the divine is almost universal. Um, and uh, all of this is placed by the north wall. All right, somebody want to read at 36. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue, purple, and crimson yarns and a fine twisted linen done in embroidery. Make five posts of acacia wood for the screen and overlay them with gold. Their hooks being of gold, and cast for them five sockets of copper. All right, go on to chapter 27. You shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar is to be square and three cubits high. Make its horns on four corners, the horns to be of one piece with it, and overlay it with copper. Make the pails for removing its ashes as well as its scrapers, basins, flesh hooks, and fire pans. Make all its utensils of copper. Make for it a grating of meshwork in copper. And on the mesh, make four copper rings as it's at its four corners. Set the mesh below, under the ledge of the altar, so that it extends to the middle of the altar. And make holes for the altar poles of acacia wood and overlay them with copper. The poles shall be inserted into the rings so that the poles remain on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. Make it hollow of boards. As you were shown on the mountains, so shall they be, so shall they be made. Thank you. So we are... Do you think they were a little OCD? <laughs> <laughs> with all the detail? It's a very interesting question, Margo, that you bring up. We get the description of every single detail, the sockets, the hooks that go into the sockets. It shall be made of. It shall weigh so much. The planks shall be this wide. They shall be the... We get this description to the 
nth degree to the finest detail, and then we get the description of it being erected. And they took the sockets, the 73 sockets made of silver, with the hook, where we get the, a repetition of almost all of the detail when it's being put together. Why? Was there a Home Depot there? Why? I think it's really important. I mean, and I'm not a detail kind of person, but if you want to connect to the past and to what was, you have the blueprint for it. I mean, you know exactly how to do it. And if that's a meaningful um, uh, symbol for you, you're, you're connected to it. So explain to me, they are, and I'm, I truly am asking. So they're in, they're settled in the land. There is no Mishkan anymore. And they put into their sacred scripture, we put into our sacred scripture, all of this detail about describing it, and then all of this detail, chapter after chapter after chapter, of details about putting it together. They no longer have it as their main expression, they're in the temple. Why? Well, because they have the root. You know where you're coming from. They know, they know where they were. And they can transmit that to, I mean, where you're talking about. So? And then, and then also, it's a basis for later symbolism. And it's a, it's a basis for travel if you're going to have to be someplace else. You know how to reconstruct what you have. So how come it's not describing the temple? Uh, yeah. well, Why are you describing the Mishkan? They don't have a Mishkan. They're in the temple now. But, but then there's the, all the periods when we weren't in the temple and we had, uh, you know, temples outside of Jerusalem. We had to make do in Babylon so, and Spain. Why was this canonized during the time of the temple? Instead of the temple. We could look to the temple for the menorah and the ark and the altar. Why the Mishkan? Well, this is a chronology, isn't it? This is a history. And this is when this is supposed to have occurred. This is an imagining of their... But the Desert shrine. The temple were made by men. And this is supposed to be, whether we believe it or not, <laughs> a blueprint from God. Okay. So what I want to stress is, I think, this is my own personal interpretation, is that they never were interested in the brick and mortar as the point. The point was... This was the imagined <coughs> home of God in our imagined <coughs> allergies, excuse me, <coughs> in our imagined desert wanderings. Right? History, chronology, it's our mythic history, right? It is our imagined intimacy with God. Especially when they were in the in the desert, they didn't have the silver and the copper and the I mean, they had, but they could certainly imagine it and uh, build whatever they build, but imagine this is what it was and focus on that in terms of imagining what it might look like. The people who canonized this text, the people who edited this text, 
were settled in the land with a permanent shrine. That's not what they sacralized really. They really sacralized the romantic idea of before we were settled, before we were in cities, before the corruption, before the stealing, before the arguing over property lines, before the whose grain is this and whose grain is that, before your ox got into my field, right? It's before all of that. It's back when we were a community, when we were in the desert, when we relied on each other and only on God, and God dwelt in our midst in an abode that God described God's self to Moshe on the mountain. That's what we long for, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I do. I long, right, for us to be together and unified in one purpose and one sense of community and that we rely on each other and on the divine and living into right relationship into that. And that's it. That's all. And in a sense, it's the journey that's important. It's not the final Destiny. thing. It's imagining it, focusing on it, and working towards it. And it's a kind of journey... It's a kind of journey that is so important, right? That's that, that's what the they that's what they romanticize, and I mean, I don't mean that as a bad word. That that's what they that's what they remember is the honeymoon, the journey, not the journey to work, you know, for three days to go shear the sheep. The journey of the honeymoon cruise, right? The journey of the backpack through Europe after college, right? It's a journey that's about. Seeking and longing and finding and growing and experiencing, right? Not the journey, the schleppage that we do now to the soccer game in the valley, to the, right? The, to the grocery store and hauling it in. Like, it's a different kind of journey. And I think we long, we long for that still, Laura. It seems that we're still in that temple age then where we are, we're not seeing, we're not longing for the tabernacle because if we were, then why are we fighting over the wall? Why is the wall of the temple so precious to us that we'll fight over who gets to stand where and you know what you wear when you're next to it? All right, so wait. So, so you, you made a couple of jumps that I didn't follow. Okay, well, you were saying this during the age of the temple, we were longing for the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Well, our current situation is we've got one wall left of the temple. And that is where, that's the holiest place now. The place that we're fighting about, whether we can pray there or not. And we're not, we've replaced the tabernacle with this remaining wall. So I would say completely, you have a lovely and amazing and fantastic point. That, forget the Mishkan, we're now fighting about, right? The te- but I want to be careful about who's we, because I really think that most of us, are not longing for the temple and are not focused on the temple. Most of us long for Mishkan. I think most of us yearn and long to come, and I could be wrong, but to come together as a community around sacred values and understanding about a vision and a journey together towards that, I think that's what most of us really ultimately long for. Some people get caught up and stuck in their own little war about about the field, about the ox, call it the wall, call it... Because I think that as an American Jew, not particularly religious, mm-hmm. and 
I knew about the wall, and I didn't know about the tabernacle. And when we went to Israel, it was the big deal to go to the wall, pray at the wall, and put your note in the wall. It's fetishized, I think. Yes. For all of Jews. Yeah. And okay. So let so let me be clear. When I say Mishkan, I don't mean this Mishkan. I mean the idea, of the idea that we are moving toward, you know, that we're yes. together, that we're moving towards something, that our ideals are what's in the center of our community. That's what the Mishkan represents, yeah. is that God right. is at the center. We would call that as Reconstructionists our values, our, our sacred mm-hmm. ethics, and right? But to be able to point to this text at, at, like we're doing now and call all those values our Mishkan would be a way to focus our thoughts on that as something and take it away from the ox, which is the wall right now. Absolutely, 100%. And so this is always, for me, the challenge of a relationship to that sacred site, is that it violates, in some ways, the exact point that was the origin of that site, which is, it should be a way for the people to come together and to worship in a way that's about creating a sense of God in our midst rather than being divisive. But here's the thing. That's human nature, and that's what had the temple fall in the first place. And that's what I'm saying. It feels like we're still in that same phase of Absolutely. Written. We're 100%. still crazy about the bricks and mortars and but needing to not think so. 100%. But aren't temples every day trying to create, like, isn't KI and they're always creating community and everything we do in these walls here in this building is... I hope. But but (laughs) I think that the the tie to Mishkan is the urge that so many more people today are having towards finding their own connection to spirituality. That's my point. Spirituality. That there's a hunger and a longing. and And that's the road in. And that's what, so we try to create a place where they can come to explore and experience a relationship to that. I think many more people are hungry and yearning for that than care about the wall, you know. And unfortunately, the wall becomes the focus of all of our least holy impulses, right? Our least holy interests. It becomes a battleground. And I'm not saying we shouldn't fight. I'm not saying we shouldn't have women at the wall. I'll, I'll be the first to get arrested. Like... I'm all for the fight, but I don't want the fight to become bigger than the, 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 the seeking and the hunger for meaning and belonging and exploring those questions. Mickey. I, I think we're talking about the ideal, the community and ideal. Uh, uh, in the days of the temple, there were several temples. You take a, I worked at Tel Arad, mm-hmm. we were working on a replica of the temple in Jerusalem, and the Holy of Holies, and eventually everything became centralized. Mm-hmm. But you have several destinations, but these are destinations, but it's, it's, it's the feeling that you have when you seek the destination. It's important. Mm-hmm. Is Mishkan and Mishpacha the same word? No. Mishpacha, Mish. Can. Mishpacha. Mishpacha. Okay. Ruben. To make your, your point, uh, you can think of what would be the difference if all of this um, description of how to build the Mishkan were not part of 
of this story. Uh, nobody would miss it. But why did the... <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Ruben, about the set. But why is it here? Why did the, why did the redactors, why did the editors mm -hmm. say, we need to put this in here, mm -hmm. even though it doesn't make any difference as, as far as the chronology. That's right, as far as the narrative, right. right. So that, that, I think, is the point. Why is it in there? Right. Yeah. So that's exactly what, what we're exploring. You know what it always reminds me of is when um, you're part of a management retreat and they give you a really big project like, <laughs> with, to work with people that you don't really know and you have to take like ice cream sticks and build a bridge <laughs> that stays up. <laughs> style. And the whole thing is you had to come together as a community to get this big project done, especially you could see people arguing about the sockets, like, <laughs> because it's very detailed instruction to give to a group of people who are living in a desert who have never done this type of work, and they had to get together and do it. Linda, fabulous. Linda, what had they built? These people, they what had they built? They built an idle calf. Oh, yeah. well, they built give them a break. What, thank you. So they had built pyramids. They had built huge monuments to what? To Pharaoh. To Pharaoh, and specifically what about Pharaoh? His God. His death. His death. His immortality. Death. They had built huge monuments to death. The death of the king and the afterlife of the king. The Mishkan says, you will build again. It will be a huge communal building project as you are accustomed to. This time, however, it is to life. And it is to the source of life that it might be magnified within your community that you are clear that you are serving the source and that it is about sanctifying this life. We have always been about sanctifying this life. So every time you eat meat, it has been sacrificed on the altar and you share it with the priests, you share it with your clan, you share a meal with God. It is about sanctifying this life. That is the Mishkan. It is a new building project because what is really being built, of course, is not the Mishkan. It is a people. Mm -hmm. It is a new kind of people that has an idea of being in special relationship to the source of life, sanctifying every aspect of this life. There is no afterlife in Torah. There is none. It's this life that matters. You are building a Mishkan that I might build you. Okay, so, so what, we, what you saw, what we have described is this tabernacle. What happened was a daily set of rituals and rites at the tabernacle, including the most important of which was sacrifice. Because this was the Israelites' way. What is the word for sacrifice in Hebrew? Korban. Korban. And what comes from the root meaning? Close. To draw close. There is no word for sacrifice in Hebrew. Well, there is a word, but it doesn't mean sacrifice. To draw 
It means to draw close, to draw near. This was the Israelites' way of drawing near to the divine, was to share. When they were going to eat meat, they would share with God and God's servants, the priests. Yes? We see this maintained in the Catholic Church, no longer in Judaism. This right, this idea is most visible in, today in the Catholic Church. It's a very interesting discussion. It is a very interesting discussion that the Catholic Church actually took these ideas and moved them forward. They reconstructed them, right? Jesus becomes the lamb, the sacrifice. His blood is the blood of atonement, right? So that ritual progresses and is reconstructed in Catholicism. Jews went a completely different direction from this. So it's a, that is... That is a course. And they studied the New Testament, not really the Old Testament, but yet that came from the Old Testament. So, to there, you know, one of my favorite authors, um, Bishop John Shelby Spong, says um, that he really argues that Christians can't really understand their tradition without understanding these texts. He argues that the, the New Testament, the Christian Bible, is a midrash on this text mm -hmm. and that to truly understand anything Jesus was saying you have to know these texts to understand Christian holidays to understand you know all of that stuff that that it that it, you have to know the beginning the, the beginning what they built on yes we don't know we, we're, it's never discussed why who chose it God told Moses and told the Levites correct and then from the Levites came Kohanim. A group of them became the Kohanim. So that's the claim. There's been interesting genetic testing done that seems to support that claim. Um, I want to share with you before we look a little bit at Shefa, um, the words of Agnes Zarkadis from Chicago. Truma. Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you. No. So, um, right. So, talking about fighting over spaces, fight, you know, space physical space becoming a battleground rather than pointing to the holy. This was written after 9-11. Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you. Fashion its sides from airplane windows, curtained with holy ash. Stamp a floor of concrete dust. Bomb brittle glass with weeping steel and fuse the shards into a rose window to contemplate a lacerated heaven. Betrothed to the ark a thousand rings, slipped from a thousand dying hands. Gild the ark inside and out with paper flyers, and onto the pictures of the missing, press flower calyxes with your dusty palms. With your empty hands, tear a cradle into the center of the chaos. Smash open a black box with your questions, unscroll the ribbon, and with it spell ancient words. At the top, 
leave a space to confront the absence of angels. Instead, crown it above with an eternal light cupped in a firefighter's helmet. From these pieces make my sanctuary. Clouds of dust will robe it by day, and a fire will glow from it at night. Slip your fingers into the empty rings. I will meet you there. That our... Agnes Zarkadis. Um, just something I once tore out of a thing that I've kept for all of these years because I think it speaks exactly to this idea that when we lose the point of the Mishkan, we blow up people's physical spaces, their physical selves. We blow up the Mishkan. We destroy the Mishkan. We destroy the human dwelling place of God, the human being as the dwelling place of God. And that when we focus on that part of our nature, ourselves, it's always destruction that results, always. So the words of Ruth Bryn, Truma, how to build the tabernacle. What did they build first after they left Egypt? They built the sanctuary. God commanded them to begin the sanctuary with the ark so that God could dwell among them. According to the word of God, our ancestors built the ark, and because their hearts were willing, they built themselves into the people who could carry the ark in their midst. We pray to begin what we build in the presence of God. We pray to begin each day and each year with the word of God. We pray to begin each task and each hour according to the will of God so that, like our ancestors, we may build and become what is good. Our God and God of our past and future, in you alone is goodness and holiness. Be with us in the thousand beginnings of our lives. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.